Mini episode 1115 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to mini-episode 1115 of the FDH Lounge. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. And uh, we have a great conversation coming up today. This is a thing where sometimes you got to go out and you got to hunt to have a great uh, conversation and have great guests on the show. And this is where uh, the FDH New York Bureau has been very instrumental over the years, whether it be Bob Barker or Steve Perry or anybody like that. Sometimes you basically have something that's right in your own backyard that's really worth pursuing, and this is one such example of that. Uh, I am speaking with a decorated law enforcement agent uh, today who actually happens to be my cousin, uh, Ed Tomba, primarily with uh, the city of Cleveland. Uh, He was working on and central to many different events that there were over the period of time, whether it be the 2016 Republican National Convention, various task forces, and uh, various... Uh, different projects over the years uh, that have really led to a lot of fascinating experiences on his part. I wanted to be able to get a chance to have a conversation with him, particularly once the cities were announced for the 2020 conventions, because I know he has an interest in uh, participating in making himself available to uh, share the expertise that he picked up in 2016. But uh, always a pleasure to get together with uh, Ed Tomba, and uh, especially today on this occasion. Ed, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate the invite and the uh, time to speak with you today. It's, uh, I'm going to go back to last summer. There, there was a thing where, coincidentally, uh, you had become the uh, police chief in Middleburg Heights uh, right about the time that uh, I got uh, sucked into duty at my homeowners association and serving on the board there. And uh, so... I had you out to uh, speak to them last summer. You were a big hit. Uh, it was it was great for people to get to talk to the new chief. So uh, some of the setup that I'm uh, giving for you now is, is kind of what I was giving then at that time. But uh, 32 years plus, uh, the, the city of Cleveland uh, police department uh, rising to uh, such positions as commander, eventually to deputy chief, frequently a spokesman on different events, uh, doing a lot of the uh, public speaking. Uh, for the department at different points in times, Quantico training, uh, working with MLB, working with the commissioner's office, with the Cleveland Indians here in town, so many different things that you uh, bring to the position there. Uh, One of the things, and I had noted this when I was introducing you last summer, the summer of uh, 2013, of course, we just passed that uh, uh, happy anniversary a couple of days ago, the uh, freeing of Amanda Berry, Michelle Knight and Gina DeJesus, uh, that very famous case uh, from the west side of Cleveland. And that was a thing where uh, you were at the, uh, the, the, you were delivering the briefings for the city. And uh, that was a thing where I just remember watching it on TV. This would have been on the Tuesday, and they'd gotten freed on the Monday night. And you fielded a question from a woman from, I think, the French news agency. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no way Eddie saw that coming when he came to work yesterday. I mean, life can be very unforeseen. That was in a great way. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's the uniqueness of, uh, of law enforcement. Uh, I was very fortunate to be a part of that, and um, and just thrilled that the uh, that the girls are free and they're thriving, 
and uh, we were on the we were thrust into the worldwide stage, mm -hmm. and um, I thought uh, we handled it handled it very well, and um, it's just uh, one of the positive things that have uh, come out of a uh, a long career that I've had with the city of Cleveland. Very much so, and I know that again you you worked on a number of different uh, cold cases, and uh, that may be maybe the most famous of them. I'm curious in terms of going through it here because there are things that, again, and obviously you have to work with the families to kind of keep their hope up and everything like that, but in a case like that one in particular, were, were the facts telling you that there was a good chance that they might still be alive? Were, were you as surprised as a lot of the people in the general population were, or did you sort of have a sense all along that that might be the outcome? Well, you know what, we were all uh, a little bit surprised, and I think part of it was because of the uh, the time that had gone by. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there were so many men and women uh, of law enforcement, the locals, the FBI, uh, that, uh, that worked on that case. We always have, and we always do have hope Mm -hmm. um, that we're going to have a good outcome, but um, uh, we've seen so many other ones that haven't been good. Yeah. So uh, to find that they were all alive and that they were together was just something that uh, caught us all by uh, by surprise, mm -hmm. and uh, it, it was one of the uh, the better the better endings to uh, to a very very uh, tragic story. Oh, absolutely, and uh, that was just uh, thrilling the way that it uh, turned out, and them being found uh, safe and sound uh, for all intents and purposes. And uh, it's good to hear from you, uh, from your insight, that uh, they're, they're continuing to do better these days. I know there's a lot of trauma that goes with that, but they seem to be very strong people. So it's good to hear that they're pressing through it pretty strongly. Yeah, they are. They're very, uh, from you know what I've seen and what I've uh, heard, you know, very resilient. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, all, the, all the resources at their, uh, at their disposal. Mm -hmm. And um, I think now they're, they're just, uh, enjoying being with their families and I think that is the tie that uh, kept them all strong uh, during those uh, during those years. That is uh, tremendous that they were able to uh, to make it out against all odds and uh, it, it is just an amazing story the way that it went so you know like you said there are things that are a lot of things that are unforeseen with law enforcement you're coming up with the things you're dealing with them I, I'd seen you on a previous instance on TV when there was a shooting at, uh, I think it was Case Western, and uh, you were handling some of the spokesman uh, duties for that. So you have events like that that are obviously unforeseen. And then I got to think, though, as, as we're rounding into 2014, because that's kind of what sets the table for a lot of the convention stuff, in the early summer of 2014, it gets to be announced that Cleveland's going to get the Republican National Convention in 2016. And obviously, at that point, you're already anticipating that you're going to play a significant role in that, whether you knew what it was going to be exactly or not, you knew you were going to be very much involved in that. So uh, take me back to your thoughts sort of at the outset. As that's coming out, as it becomes official, there, there was a lot of thought and a lot of doubt, I think, up until the last minute and in a lot of quarters, not least of which because uh, Cleveland had really for a long time lagged, I think especially in hotel rooms. And there had been a hotel kind of building boom in the last couple of years leading up to that, uh, including the, uh, the the Hilton that went in. but. In terms of that thoughts there initially when they got it, what was going through your mind looking ahead to 2016? Well, I think uh, you know we were very excited. Um, the uh, the plan and the proposal that the uh, mayor's office and the uh, convention and visitors bureau uh, put together uh, really uh, I think really sold our city mm -hmm. in a positive light. <clears throat> Obviously, uh, security is always a concern. And uh, you know we were at the table for many of those discussions with the uh, with the selection committee mm -hmm. uh, from the Republican National Committee. They would talk to us about 
our thoughts and about how we would police it and about what we would do. Mm -hmm. uh, we put together different proposals and different scenarios, and then uh, when we were awarded, um, it was a uh, you know it was it was a great accomplishment, and I remember uh, being at the meeting, and then they said now the work really starts. Sure. And and, and that it did, and uh, we started our uh, our planning. Uh, I was selected by the chief to be the uh, director of uh, security and the head operations chief for it and to put together the plan, and um, we were off and running. It had to be, uh, I won't say uh, for anybody from Cleveland, mixed feelings on this necessarily, but as you're looking at it and the initial word was we're going to need as much bleed up time as we can get a quick at Lones Arena mm -hmm. as possible, and then not long thereafter, LeBron signs with the Cavs and comes back to Cleveland, and I'm immediately saying to people, Boy, they're going to be up against it at the last minute because you, you could kind of see that coming. Good chance of being in the finals. Could be game six or game seven. It turned out to be game six that was the last one that was at the site then. So uh, obviously, I mean, that had to complicate things substantially because of how much there, you, you guys had to get in place there. Probably more so for the people doing the physical construction at the queue and that kind of stuff. But I'm guessing on a security end, there was probably some amount of stuff that, that probably had to wait until the calves were done, or, or is that not the case? No, that is the case, and that's a really good observation. Uh, during the planning process, uh, they were talking about avail availability of Quicken Loans Arena, mm -hmm. and uh, I guess it was before LeBron, the odds that uh, the finals were going to take place in Cleveland right. was under 1%, <laughs> yeah. and then uh, the day LeBron signed, those odds... Uh, you know, go up into the 90 percentile. Mm -hmm. So um, for the uh, construction crews and for the Republican National Committee, mm -hmm. obviously it was a concern, mm -hmm. but um, it was just another positive step heading toward a climactic uh, 2016, uh, what took place then. So um, they said they needed eight to 10 weeks to, uh, to prepare the arena. But uh, if it did go to game six or seven, they'd mm -hmm. probably have about six weeks to prepare. Okay, yeah, and that's about what it turned out to be. And obviously they were able to make it work. Uh, I, I know there was a lot of, you know, very hurried kind of work in some places, and some units had to go around the clock in different places, but they made it okay. When you look at the things that are unforeseen in, in the summer of 2014, there's another thing that really kind of came up that I think would provide one of your biggest challenges that you would have leading into the convention. And that being, I believe it was in August of 2014, you had the first of these outbreaks in the different cities. This was Ferguson at this point, uh, where there was uh, the police shooting, there was unrest, and there would be an awful lot of that. I mean, there's a little bit of distance now. I don't think it's necessarily at the point where we forget, but the, the times between then and in 2016, it was really very fevered. You would have something happening every so often, and then unfortunately, right in the lead up to the convention, uh, you had the, the, the shooting of the police officers in Dallas. There was, uh, I believe, in Louisiana not long before then, there, there, was, uh, and, and, uh, there was an ambush. So a, as you're looking at this situation, this sort of societal pattern that's developing in the two years leading up to the convention, I have to say, I mean, from, from my perch of, of, of worrying about this from, from, for your sake and thinking, oh, please let this go well for Ed and please let things, as all the friends and family were, as you well know, that was one of the foremost factors, I think, that we were looking at and thinking could be an issue. So as you're going through it, what's going through your head as far as the challenges that have been put out there by this whole kind of outbreak? Well, it definitely was. Um, it was uh, quite a challenge, and uh, we knew we were going to be on a worldwide stage, mm -hmm. so we had to pay attention to what was going on, you know, in the world uh, and in the country. 
and uh, Ferguson, Missouri was uh, the start of something that I think had been brewing for a long time mm -hmm. uh, in uh, urban centers around the country and um, it just really uh, kind of ignited a, uh, uh, a new way of uh, doing things and a new way that the public was uh, voicing their opinion. Mm -hmm. So we had Ferguson, we had some issues in Baltimore, and then as you mentioned before, you know, right before the convention we had some, uh, some tragic events. So uh, during our training it was, uh, it was quite a challenge. I mean, mm -hmm. There was no doubt about it. We had to train a different way. In the meantime, we were doing that. We were in the, in the uh, beginning stages of being monitored by the federal government, mm -hmm. being placed under a consent decree uh, by the U.S. Department of Justice. So there was a lot of moving parts, but um, you know, the men and women in law enforcement are very, very resilient, and uh, they were amenable to, uh, to change, and we were committed to having a... Uh, a safe event. Mm -hmm. And that's, uh, unfortunately, it all came off well. It's a thing where to, to kind of go from that to, to a little bit of a side point here. I'm curious in terms of your law enforcement experience and, and the experience that you had overseeing an awful lot of things with internal affairs, that when there are controversial events that happen, uh, are, are there any sort of misperceptions that the public has a lot of times about the investigative process, about the ability of uh, getting officers to cooperate because there's a lot of thoughts out there as, as far as the difficulties involved sometimes in getting to the truth. Are there any popular misconceptions that you're aware of in that way? Well, well I think, you know, I think there are and I think some of these misconceptions have been, uh, um, you know, have been cleared up and mm -hmm. I think the people are starting to understand a little bit more. We, we are entitled to, uh, you know, to due process, mm -hmm. um, but uh, we want to, you know, we do work for the citizens. We do want to be as open and as uh, transparent as we can be in an effort to be fair mm -hmm. um, to not only the uh, officer but to, to the public. So I think that's, um, you know, there is this, uh, um, you know, thought of, you know, the police being a very, very secret society. Mm -hmm. well, I think historically maybe, but now with uh, body cameras, with uh, dash cams and the, uh, the all the videos out there that... Um, a lot, a lot of times, uh, you know, these events are caught on camera, mm -hmm. and uh, but not all, not the whole event. So there sure. are some times where there does need some further investigation, and things aren't what they uh, aren't what they seem. But mm -hmm. uh, everyone is entitled to due process, and uh, even though you wear the badge, uh, you still have that uh, that uh, that cloak of uh, innocence until somebody proves you guilty, mm -hmm. and you're still entitled to due process. Absolutely, yeah, that's a very important point. And as we're coming into 2016 here, as, as the convention is kind of leading up, circling back to a little bit of what we were talking about before, subsequently uh, with uh, LeBron and the Cavs, they don't quite get it done in 2015, but come close, uh, heartbreakingly close. 2016, uh, they get it done. Uh, the greatest sporting event of the lifetime of myself and a lot of other Northeastern Ohioans. So you've got a thing where, again, maybe anticipated on a certain level, and, and I'm sure there's contingency plans in case it happens, but all of a sudden, three days after the finals are done, you've got a parade happening, and it's, according to Wikipedia, 1.3 million people, one of the 100 largest gatherings in human history. So I've always thought I would have liked to have seen any satellite pictures from space of what it was to look like on 71 and 90 and everyone coming into town here. but. If for something like that, is that in any way any kind of useful dry run or anything that you might learn coming into the RNC as far as any kind of practices, crowd control? Obviously, it's crowd control times a million, 
when you're looking at that, but it, it, was there anything that you could take from that and sort of use usefully a couple weeks later? Well, there, there actually was. Uh, number one, it was, uh, you know, it was a great event. I happened to mm -hmm. be uh, working that night that they clinched. Mm -hmm. I was at uh, Ninth and Prospect and uh, the euphoria and uh, the, uh, the celebration that took place after was mm -hmm. something that I'd never seen before. And I was very happy to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the city was very, very well behaved. They celebrated yeah. um, remarkable. In, right, in, a, in a remarkably safe manner. Mm -hmm. uh, we planned the parade and, uh, you know, I was anticipating, thought it would be a big crowd of about a half a million people. Mm -hmm. And to my surprise, when I woke up that morning and uh, headed into work, it was, uh, you know, double that. Yeah. And um, it was, uh, we learned a lot. Uh, we, uh, we debriefed extensively after that meeting. Uh, after that parade, we had numerous meetings. Uh, we know that our uh, bicycle unit was going to be integral, mm -hmm. an integral part of our security plan, and uh, we knew how much uh, you know we needed the help of uh, law enforcement officers from around the country. Yeah, yeah, and it was good that you guys were able to draw upon that as well. And whether it be that day or whether it be at the convention, and this is in a little bit more of a goofier direction, but we happened to have a societal craze uh, breaking out that summer in the form of Pokemon Go and people going different places and in a lot of cases making nuisances of themselves just to identify at these certain type of hot spots or whatever. So at either the parade or the convention, was that any kind of uh, an issue at any point where you were hearing about this? Because it was sort of happening not just all over the country but all over the world and uh, people kind of making idiots out of themselves at inappropriate places. Uh, I'd kind of be surprised if there wasn't a little bit of that going on here. Yeah, I'm sure there was. Mm -hmm. um, we were definitely aware of it. You mm -hmm. know, uh, you know, Rick. We, uh, you know, all the all the planning mm -hmm. and everything that we did. Uh, the uh, the plans kept changing every mm -hmm. day. Sure. And um, the amount of officers that we had coming in was changing. The commitment that we had was changing every day. So we did get to a point when we were about 60 days out. Uh, we thought we had a solid plan, mm -hmm. and now it was time to uh, put that plan, uh, you know, into uh, into motion. And there are a lot of things about that that, uh, again, uh, because of you know subsequent conventions that are coming up, and the need to secure those, where uh, in terms of the details of it, that uh, the public will never and probably should never know, uh, just to be able to keep the subsequent ones going good. But just so in the general sense, and you know, take this wherever you want to take this, as far as. There were some things that I had noticed coming into this. For example, the Saturday before the convention, I'm driving up 71, uh, just a little bit south of 480, and uh, I see a couple of, I'm guessing they were National Guard uh, outfit things here, like a little bit of a caravan, and they were kind of going off of 480. I'm thinking, oh, they're probably going over to the thing on 150th there. So there was things like that. I was downtown the Monday morning of it, and I saw what looked to be National Guardsmen behind a fence north of Public Square. So, I mean... There were an awful lot of things here where I think it was probably planted in the public's mind that there's a lot that's going on here and a lot that we're not going to know and probably shouldn't know. But I think if you were looking, you could see an awful lot of signs of being ready for anything. Well, I think our, our preparedness was the key. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, had, uh, we actually had our, our, uh, our goals and our, kind of our marching orders. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't want it to look like a military encampment. Right, and it didn't look overt, I didn't right. think. Yeah. And we didn't want that. Yeah. But we wanted everybody to know that we had the resources to handle any incident very quickly mm -hmm. and very professionally. Yeah. So the model was uh, foot patrols, bicycle patrols, mounted patrols, 
community policing. Mm -hmm. But if anything got out of hand mm -hmm. or anything jumped off, we had the resources staged mm -hmm. all over the city. And a lot of it was out of sight. Okay. A lot of it was covert. Mm -hmm. We had the resources staged all over the city to handle any issue that would have uh, presented itself. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I figured from looking around. Yeah, it, it, it sort of had that sense that uh, you guys were going to be ready for just about anything, and thank God it never came to that. As far as it goes, again, with the actual, you know, a, a, as you're there working it and you're at the nerve center, I mean, the, the thing that might sort of jump to mind, although it might be kind of a, a dated reference at this point, 10 or 15 years out, uh, Las Vegas with James Caan, Josh Duhamel, you know, I'm, I'm sort of thinking of that, you know, yeah. the, the cameras everywhere and everything. So I'm guessing that the nerve center that you are at, you, you probably just had waves and waves and waves of information coming into you in various ways. Well, we did. We had a couple of, uh, you know, with all of our partners, particularly with our federal agencies, but we had a couple of different uh, command centers mm -hmm. set up. And uh, we would brief every morning at uh, 11 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, with all the heads of all the agencies, and we would get constant intelligence updates and constant uh, intelligence briefings. So mm -hmm. it was just a matter of really just constant communication as to what was going on on the ground, what they were mining from social media, what we were hearing from our uh, from our human sources, and what we were looking at uh, as far as cameras right. and uh, surveillance. So um, it was uh, a, a lot of uh, communication, I think, was the most important tool of it. But uh, yeah, every day we briefed at 11 o'clock. We went operational uh, the Friday before the convention, and we went. Uh, we moved right into 12-hour shifts. Oh, yeah, and I, I think it was really impressive the way that everything came off there, and particularly with all the challenges. And just to mention another one of them here, too, because as we've seen going back in history, I mean, some conventions are going to be more contentious than other ones, and this one politically was very much so, and you, you go back to the time leading up. Uh, I don't remember exactly when this is, but you, you probably remember it specifically, like when Roger Stone had come out and said, hey, if these delegates aren't doing what we want them to do, go knock on their hotel doors. And so you have all kinds of things happening because of the fevered tensions of it. You have a nominee with substantial resistance at that point still within the party as well as from outside the party. So you're talking about a set of challenges and volatility the likes of which I, I think you, you'd have to look very closely at other times in recent American history to find one that measured up to that. So that's just adding more fuel to the fire. I'm no, thinking. without a doubt. You know, obviously a very uh, uh, colorful and controversial candidate. Mm -hmm. and, and really up until April, um, there was a chance that it could have been a contested convention. Yes. You know, you still had Governor Kasich in, in the race. And, that's right. You know, so there was, uh, you know, there was always that, that possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, the first debate... Uh, of the political season took place in Cleveland, so mm -hmm. we were, uh, you know, we were the hotbed of politi political activity for that year. But always, always a concern um, that, uh, like I said, that something like that could uh, could definitely happen. And then with the uh, with the law enforcement events leading up to the convention, I had law enforcement leaders calling me from across the country saying, "What's your plan to keep my guys safe when mm -hmm. they come there? Yeah. What are you doing? Not only the public, not sure. only the convention." But what are you doing to keep these guys safe? So um, the last, particularly the last 60 days leading up to the convention, there was a lot of uncertainty. And um, I think we were all really collectively holding our breath. But uh, once we got everybody in, the, in town and we got everybody sworn in, uh, knowing that I had uh, 
a staff of 3,000 to draw on, mm -hmm. I, I, I felt very, very comfortable. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that's, you know, that's no doubt the, the sense of calm and comfort that helped you be able to get through this thing, but almost sort of symbolic of the whole thing, it kind of seemed to me, is when you're looking at something on the surface versus below the surface, is that at the convention, and you mentioned Governor Kasich, who I don't believe at any point actually went into the convention, uh, at least uh, you know, as uh, in any kind of official capacity. He was here in what seemed like a quasi-protest capacity, and yet your cooperation on the state level, the federal level, it's all there. Regardless of, of what, whatever stances any public officials take, even the governor, you know, on an operational level, everything is steady and going well, and obviously that was key working with the state and the federal officials. Oh, without a doubt, the uh, our number one partner was the uh, state highway patrol. Mm -hmm. You know, Governor Kasich signed the uh, the act that uh, set off the uh, request to other states to help us, mm -hmm. and uh, he was instrumental in that. Uh, the director of public safety, John Bourne, and my counterpart, uh, Colonel Mike Black. Uh, were instrumental in uh, helping me with the planning, and uh, they dedicated uh, over 450 state troopers, Ohio state troopers. So mm -hmm. they were all in. Uh, the political part of it was uh, a little bit above us, so mm -hmm. we just, uh, you know, we kind of blocked that out, and we knew we had a job to do, and uh, you know, we just did our job. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's it's one of these things where again. You know, for, I'll say from a, a, a friends and family standpoint, you know, we're sort of holding our breath. And I remember like getting to like Wednesday and thinking, hey, it's going okay so far. Not too much longer to go here. And obviously you're going through and, and it's so far so good as you're going through. As, as you get to Thursday night and the convention is drawing to a close and it seems pretty clear at that point that you're going to get out of this thing unscathed, which is basically the mark of total victory. What's the mood at, at the operations centers among the people that when you've gotten through this, when you've met these challenges, everything that's come your way, the expected and the unexpected, you, you get to the finish line. I can't even imagine what the mood must have been. Well, I have to say um, uh, we were exhausted, but, um, and for me, I, I mean, I could almost say almost euphoric. You know, mm -hmm. I couldn't have been prouder of the men and women of law enforcement. I remember standing uh, at... Uh, East 4th Street in Prospect with Chief Williams and he was on a bike and he kind of turned to me it was about midnight and he shook my hand and he mm -hmm. said eh, we did a good job and yeah. I said you know chief I said we all did and uh, I was out till about uh, three o'clock that morning mm -hmm. and the breakdown started and then uh, the next day on Friday it was really uh, what I'd like to say was almost a victory lap for us sure uh, we got a call from uh, candidate Trump mm -hmm. uh, he actually called Chief Williams and we were all gathered around the phone and uh, he thanked us, and then just, uh, you know, walking around the city, having everybody thank us, and then, uh, you know, talking to some of the TV stations the next week, uh, you know, kind of going over things of what we did. Uh, it was a very, very, it was a proud moment for me, and actually uh, couldn't have been prouder of all the, uh, the men and women that worked the, uh, worked the event. Absolutely, and then going through that, it just seemed, again, it, there, was, there was obviously the tension in the lead up to the convention and hoping that it's going to go well and everything, but afterwards, yeah, with what you're talking about, it almost seemed like just sort of a resumption because in most other cities, what happened with the Cavs would have set the mood for the entire summer. Obviously, we have the convention here, which is a big thing in and of itself, but it seemed like after the convention was done, it, because that, that mood of the Cavs lasted for a long time, it felt like it just kind of added to the whole thing. Of We made it through as a city. We got through this thing. There wasn't a disaster here. Oh, the Cavs won also, too. So it seemed like the two things together just even put everybody in that much of a better mood. Oh, it really did. I mean, there was no doubt about it. The city was... Uh 
you know, we were we were the center of attention, and then obviously the the year ended with Game Seven of the World Series mm-hmm. in 2016. So it was, uh, I think it was a highlight year um, for the city. Um, I think it was, uh, you know, from a sports wide sports perspective, and then putting on the safest convention, uh, you know, in the history of conventions, mm-hmm. um, without any uh, major incidents, without any property damage at all. Yeah, only 24 arrests. Um, it was uh, something that we all uh, were very, very, and continue to be very proud of. Yeah, very, that's remarkable. A remarkable uh, thing on, on your record and the record of everyone uh, involved with this. And then subsequently, uh, again, as you mentioned, uh, the World Series that year, uh, and again, your your role, I hadn't known the exact uh, title and nature of it, uh, but uh, resident security agent slash commissioner's resident representative for Major League Baseball uh, here in the city. The years of working uh, and monitoring things with the Indians on, on that kind of nature. It's interesting because uh, you've given me some materials to look at when I got here, and I was going to ask you a little bit about not just having interest in conventions subsequently, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, North America, there's going to be 10 cities in the 2026 World Cup. you got the Olympics in Los Angeles in 2028, but as I'm looking at your record of things that you've done here with a lot of different other sporting events, I mean, that, that really is like a straight apples-to-apples apples thing. You, you, you can almost take the, the, the convention experience out of this. You've got a lot of direct apples-to-apples apples experience with these type of events. So I have to believe looking forward in terms of consultancy that uh, any of these major type events, I'm sure that you see opportunities to contribute what you've learned along the way. I do, and, um, I, and I appreciate that, and I do. I do uh, enjoy the planning of the large-scale events, mm-hmm. and the uniqueness of, all the, of those events are that, you know, a lot of times they are the jewel event for a city, mm-hmm. for a country, and, um, you know, you have the resources. Mm-hmm. If you have the resources, you have the equipment, you have the right people in place, you know, you can, uh, you can almost guarantee a, uh, you know, a safe and secure event. Um, you know, a lot of times these organizations come in and basically, you know, the RNC, they kind of took over our city, mm-hmm. you know, and they shut it down for, for six days. But um, this is what they do. And um, it, it turned out to be very positive. And I think the rebound effect for the city has been positive. I know we've uh, uh, landed a lot of uh, conventions. Uh, this summer we're hosting the uh, uh, 2019 All-Star Game. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a lot of positive things that come out of these. But... Uh, Absolutely, I would. Uh, I, w- I would love to uh, continue to work on uh, large-scale events. Absolutely, and uh, you, you bring a lot of obviously relevant experience and knowledge to that. And then uh, subsequent uh, to that, so we, we get through 2016, a little bit more than a year down the road to take this kind of full circle. It comes around to your present opportunity that we spoke of before. So coming to uh, my now hometown of uh, Middleburg Heights, Ohio, in this capacity as chief and. Uh, obviously, uh, we always like to give our guests a chance to plug on the show here. So there are some things where, you know, I, I took note of them that you were, the things that you were telling my homeowners last summer uh, about whether it be the, the, the bike patrol, which, as you said, was an outgrowth from the 2016 RNC being able to acquire those bikes. So we've now got a bike patrol in the city. I did a little other research here: five new SUV cruisers, state-of-the-art radio equipment. Uh, I guess you guys have now absorbed animal control. And you're handling that as well. So you got a lot of initiatives happening. I will tell you this. I was at an event at the Recreation Center about a week and a half ago uh, where some city officials were uh, kind enough to have some of the homeowners association people come in and kind of tell us some things and kind of interact with us. And 
you, you got put over very strongly in that event, you and I guess the mayor's an enthusiast also of this bike patrol thing. So that's a big hit here in the city, and I know it's something the homeowners in my association are happy about. Well, that you know, that's good to hear. Uh, the, yeah, the, the plug is the community's a great community, great place to live, great place to uh, have a business. Um, I wasn't real familiar with the city before I started doing a little bit of research and applied for the job, mm -hmm. but uh, a great city, uh, hardworking, uh, supportive people of law enforcement, and I think it lends itself to a little more personal touch mm -hmm. uh, from the police, and I think the bikes will do that, and um, you know, we're a city of 16,000 residents, and I think our officers uh, on bicycles and a little bit, on, uh, a little bit more on uh, foot patrol and engaging with the citizens and the residents uh, provide a level of comfort and uh, security that uh, you know that is unique to our city. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's a great thing. And uh, again, I know that uh, people are excited about uh, some of the things that you are uh, bringing to the city and the direction that it is going with uh, law enforcement. So, again, whether it be that, and then subsequently moving forward with uh, the consultancy, uh, hopefully only good things ahead for you, my friend. I I can't see why that wouldn't be the case. And uh, Again, uh, best of luck in, in all of the things going forward, and I hope that uh, as these subsequent major events are coming, be it 2020, 2024 conventions, anything down the, the line of a significant nature, uh, I hope that uh, you are going to be in a position to be able to uh, contribute uh, the things that you've learned along the way, because I know it would be very beneficial if that were the case. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time today, and it's been great talking to you. Well, thank you, Ed. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for making time for me. Thank you, everybody, for checking out. FDH Lounge Mini episode number 1115. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio, Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements.